So hi, welcome to the Granoise Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm Glory. And we're here with... Sam. And we're going to ask him some questions today about his new album, There Goes the Neighborhood. So congrats on that, by the way. How do you feel about the response to it so far? Thank you. Yeah, the response has been good. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I feel like it's kind of reaching across the world. I'm seeing different places charting in different countries I've never been. So it's really exciting. That's fucking awesome. Album rocks. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Of course. Uh, so is there any meaning behind the album title or cover art? Uh, you know, for me, when I was writing it, I was putting all these songs together. I mean, there's like the metaphorical meaning of like the neighborhood being the world and there goes the neighborhood because the world was kind of going to shit whenever I made this record. So I think that was part of it. But then also I was like, you know, I wanted to make a record where it's like if somebody was moving in next door and you hear there were a music artist and you put on this record, you'd be a little worried, you know? <laughs> so like, oh, there goes the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like this dude's freaking crazy. So I think that was kind of some of it, um, just kind of metaphoric and like literal. And uh, yeah, and, and the album cover really is just like just a bunch of delinquents, people on the outside, people on the fringes and, uh, you know, not being the typical standard you know, bathroom sign looking, you know, person, everybody having their own unique uh, top, you know, and so that was kind of part of it. All right. Makes sense. Love it. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your writing process for this album? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I really kind of like I love writing with a bunch of friends. So I really just invited different friends over. And uh, we wrote wrote each song. Each song probably started, though, with the title. I like to at least have like an idea of what I'm writing towards. And so even with the song Loser, I grew up loving Beck and I loved his uh, his Loser song. Like I was like, man, it would be so sick to have a, a song like, you know, I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? And I'm like, man, I'm like, what is my version of that? And uh, I'm like, even I just love that word in general. It's such like a word that carries on through the generations of of decades. You know, it's just a word that will probably live forever mm -hmm. uh, and have meaning forever. And so I just thought it would be cool to write a song about it. And uh, each one was kind of like that, like reflecting on different experiences uh, of life and just trying to figure out what was the most meaningful thing for me in that moment and just writing about it. All right. So you said you always kind of go in and you want to have like the song title and that's like your idea for what you're going to write. Do you, tip yeah. it, do you always stick with that song title that you wind up coming up with? Like, no, I think, you know, I had a, uh, the, the song out of my league, I actually came in with something about like, I can't like, I can't remember what it was. Some, it was like something girl. I can't remember, but it was like something like beautiful girl or so, some sort of funny, like, you know, like really standard thing. And then somebody was like, because my whole idea was like, man, I can't believe I'm with this person. Like, what about what if we write a song about like, I can't believe I, I landed this person, you know, basically. And uh, and then somebody in the room was like, well, you know, like like they're out of your league. And I'm like, out of my league. I'm like, that's that's way better than my stupid title, whatever that was. So I think it morphs. I always like to come in with an idea because collaboration allows things to morph and get better in the room, you know, better and better ideas. And so. I always like to have some sort of seed of, of a thought coming in. Otherwise, we're just kind of pulling from air. But if I have some kind of premeditated like, okay, this is kind of the genre of thought I want to go towards today, I feel like songs turn out better for me. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so what song off this album took longest to write and which one is your personal favorite? Oh, gosh, I would probably say uh, the longest to write. You know, Prozac Perfect was kind of a pain in the butt to write, uh, mostly because um, 
it was a lot of like really personal things I was pulling from. And, and I wanted it to be kind of wacky and wild. You know, there, there are some like Weezer songs that like change keys and then they change, they change keys back out of that key, back to the original key and do all these weird, like wild musical things. And so that song has that as well. It changes the, the total key changes when it goes into the guitar solo and then back out of the guitar solo. But I wanted to find a way to like, if you're just a standard listener, you could just listen and enjoy it. But if you were like a music nerd, you could hear it and be like, oh my gosh, what the heck, what just happened to my brain? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then along with that, you know, that kind of like unhinging feeling of like when you change a key in a song, sometimes it can feel glorious, like you're rising up into something, but then sometimes it can feel kind of like uncomfortable and, you know, disconcerting. And so like, I wanted that kind of feeling with Prozac Perfect because it, it fit the kind of unhinging feeling of that song. So that one had a lot of thought into it, whether it was the guitar solos and the key changes or the really wild uh, lyrics, you know, throughout. Um, and also, you know, I had a big battle with uh, the people I was releasing the music with on the title be being Prozac Perfect. They're like, is there anything else you can call it? Like, I just don't know if, if we're going to be able to like, you know, push this song as well since it's called Prozac Perfect. And I was just like, well, that sucks. But yeah, I think that's really what I want to call it. So that was kind of the most the, the most battle and struggle. And I think it was because it was the most like revealing and, and vulnerable and wild and wacky song on the thing. So. All right. And your personal favorite? <clears throat> I think my personal favorite is Hardly in Love because I'm kind of a sucker for orchestral strings. So we had uh, two really talented, uh, a violinist and a cellist, and they came and played on it. And it was really, it, it turned the song into something really massively beautiful. And uh, and the song just is, it's cool because it's like kind of a reflection on uh, me wishing I had these really mature and deeper thoughts to say to older relationships that maybe I wasn't really as respectful or as kind and as that I, I wish I would have been. So it's kind of, it's kind of a song to those relationships in the past, uh, which is kind of a fun thing that I've never done before that perspective, but also, uh, just kind of creating this lush sonic bed of strings and all that was really fun to do. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so how did the track list for the album come about? Did you write the opener be the opener, close be a closer? Did you shuffle around and see what fits? What was that process like? You know, I am definitely a little bit more scientific about the about the uh, the track order. Like, I definitely like to listen to the songs back to back. I, I I'll hear the front and I'm like, does that sound like the opening of an album? You know, like, mm -hmm. And then I'll go to the end of each song and just see how it flows into the next song. You know, just just the endings, like as if if I was a listener who who decided to listen to the album from top to bottom, what kind of experience would I get? And then, you know, I always like to like I think the heaviest, most personal track on the whole album is 33, Good Die Young. And uh, and I thought that would be a great closer just to give somebody somebody to really something to really chew on it's like if the album stopped playing and they had just silence they would they would be able to start kind of really sifting through their thoughts on the lyrics and on the song and on their emotions while listening and so yeah i mean there's there's a lot of process that goes into it i i like to put my some of my favorite like more commercial songs towards the top as well so that way i know people are going to hear those you know so yeah you know it's it's kind of a 
I kind of enjoy the process, but I really, I'm not painstakingly like doing it. I, I've, I force myself to get through it within a couple of days or else I will take months and I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And Absolutely. unfortunately in this day and age, it doesn't make sense to take months on it because the amount of people oh. that are going to hit shuffle is, is a majority anyway. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. So that's, you know, my hope is that, you know, when I make a vinyl, I have that order, but it's not make or break, you know, it's a singles world. So yeah, fair enough. True. You mentioned your process for finding the closer track, but like what qualities do you look for when kind of picking the opener? Do you just kind of have a feeling you're looking for or is there something? Uh, I think, you know, I feel like with that one, it was like, you know, since the album was called There Goes the Neighborhood, I wanted a little bit of something that was ominous. I wanted something that was a little like, what the heck is this? You know, so when you press play and you hear that kind of distorted laugh, you know, uh, from Prozac Perfect, it's kind of like, what am I about to get myself into? And then it pulls you in immediately with that lyric and the guitar. There's no like big intro on that song. It's literally just that crazy laugh straight into these crazy lyrics. And I, my hope is that it was a it's a hook to pull people in they press play and they're like oh i want to hear the rest of this like what is this song going to say what like what is this song going to be about it's called mm -hmm. prozac perfect that's freaking weird you know so <laughs> that's kind of like my my hope is to hook people you know attention spans are so low these days you know whether people are watching 15 second clips on tiktok or whatever it's like you have about 10 to 15 seconds to hook a listener and then hopefully once you got them they stay to listen to the rest of it you know yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, so would you be able to tell us where your headspace is at while you're creating this record? Yeah, I mean, I was a, I was kind of done with doing the music that I had been doing, you know, like the more like what they call a funny name for it, but swag rock or, you know, cinematic or that kind of stuff. It was just like, hmm, I was just kind of not in the mood, not in the mood to, to be empowered or empowering not in the mood to to write about dark things because the world was ultra dark mm -hmm. i kind of just wanted to write like tongue-in-cheek lyrics and over the top like anthemic choruses and i i think everybody in that moment and even now has this like urge for nostalgia and so my hope was to bring people back to a simpler time before all the craziness and you know the early 2000s late 90s were kind of that and so this record was just kind of like a time capsule for me trying to frame what was happening in the world in the 2020 to, you know, 2019 space, but with the sound of early, like or late nineties and early two thousands. So that's kind of where my headspace was, you know, I was dealing with like uh, mental health stuff. I was dealing with, you know, looking at uh, different groups that I was a part of, you know, like, whether it was religious groups or political groups or whatever, it just, and going like, I don't think I'm like, I call myself these things over here, but whatever's happening over here, I don't relate with this and I don't understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, and I'm like, I think it really doesn't fit the point. So songs like toilet paper money that are just wacky uh, are really just so sarcastic. And, and uh, you know, I think that music and humor can be a really powerful weapon of change. And so really this record is just, you know, I wanted people to feel less alone in their in their crazy feelings, but also to listen and be like, oh yeah, that is kind of selfish. And well, yeah, that is kind of a weird way of thinking. Maybe I shouldn't think like that. And maybe I could be more generous. Maybe I could be more kind. Maybe I could be more considerate in my relationships. And so, you know, I think that was kind of part of it too. 
Absolutely. So you you're talking about like this the sound change for you. You went from like the cinematic to this more like this kind of like upbeat, um, nostalgic kind of pop. And um, it, was there any sort of like anxiety going into that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I I thought like I was kind of thinking like, oh man, what if what if my core base of fans like absolutely hate this? I really had thoughts of like, do I even put this out under my name? There were there were talks inside of my team like, do we create a new band? Do we create a new moniker that would this would fit under? And I was just kind of like, if it fails, I think I would always wonder what if I put it out under my name with my platform and the fans that I already have. And also, I felt like it was a little like, do I not trust my fans to come along on the ride with me? Like, these people have been with me through many, many years of music and changes and all that. Like, why do I think this is any different? So I just decided against it. I was like, let's give it the best shot possible. Let's put it out to my my core fan base. I'll lose some people and they'll probably some of them will say probably really nasty things. But I might gain some new fans who really enjoy it and maybe you know, showing them the real me, like if they don't like who I actually am, then maybe that's something that they need to kind of like deal with, you know, and, and think about like, maybe you don't need to follow me, maybe you don't need to be my fan, you know, so that was kind of like, I was like, just feeling very like, okay, this is this is in my gut what I feel like I need to do. I don't want to hide it behind another moniker. I want to attach this to me because it feels like the most me out of any record I've put out. So it was, it was a real risk though. I mean, there was a lot of like trepidation and like a little bit of nervousness going into it. Like thinking like, what if everybody freaking hates this and it's an absolute dumpster fire, but I am glad to say that I don't think that's the case and people were really, you know, into it. Uh, but yeah, it's always weird and, and nerve wracking trying to change a standard formulaic model. Uh, it's like, if I put out the songs I've always been putting out, I knew they would like it and they'd probably stream it and I would stay exactly the same. But what's cool is things have really grown since I've released this record. And, uh, and it's a lot more fun to play these songs live. So, yeah. Oh yeah. That's good. All right. And it's, we have the the same uh, point that we told Rory Rodriguez when we spoke to Dayseeker, where it's like the, the older fans, when they listen to it, they're like, Oh, I don't like this era. I don't like this album. <laughs> the old shit is there. It's still yep. there for you to be able yep. to stream and listen to. So you don't only have to listen to the new stuff if you do have those fans that are sticking out like, oh, I don't like this new era. Like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Just go listen to the older stuff. It's, it's so fine. true. Yeah it's, yeah, it's online. If you want it, go find it. And I'm like, I guarantee there are four or five other songs that I've released like the one you like that you probably haven't heard yet. Like, exactly. go dive into everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, who knows what collaborations will come up like with artists I have this year that might touch on some of the past vibes mm-hmm. that, that most likely will happen but this album was not to be defiled this was exactly how i wanted it to be mm-hmm. this this album i put no stops no weird other type of vibes in between other songs like from other projects or collaborations i really focused on this album cuz i was like i'm proud of this i want everybody to hear this and focus on this so it was a first for me i'm i'm usually pretty pretty manic and and all over the place when it comes to to sounds but this year last year i was like let's do rock let's do this pop alternative thing and just full on go for it so hell yeah yeah. 
Um, so how do you recommend your fans to listen to this album for the first time? Say, should they do it in the car with friends, in the dark with headphones on? Is it a workout album, party album? What do you personally recommend? You know, I, I guess I would say... Hmm, I guess I would say probably listening to it by themselves first. And, you know, with some headphones on in the dark, listen to the lyrics, let it take them on a little journey, and then bring it to a party and see how it how it flies. There are a few songs that are kind of fun and wacky and people might be like, what did that song just say? And you'd be like, oh, dude, you got to check this out. You know, mm -hmm. I think, though, like there's levels to my to my music. There's layers. And so it's like the first layer that you get is, you know, you get the feeling of the music and the feeling of the lyric and it's kind of surface level. But uh, but there's deeper. There's always a deeper meaning underneath if you just dig a little bit and you'll find it if you want to find it. If you don't want to find it, you'll just listen and you'll get the vibe that's there. But if you want to take some serious time to really dig in, put on some headphones, close your eyes and listen, there's enough meat in the, on the bone to really get, you know, get something that you think is, is, uh, is worth doing that. So. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so this one should be super, super quick off top of your head. I want you to describe this album for new listeners in three words, no more, no less. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would say nostalgic tongue in cheek, I guess that's one word, right? Is that all? Yeah, we'll hyphenate. <laughs> Tongue in cheek, uh, and then uh, an anthemic. I would say anthemic. Sounds Perfect. good. Um, so, in that same train of thought, is there a certain feeling or emotion you want listeners to have while going through the album? I hope it takes them on a roller coaster of an emotion. You know, from everything from like internal self discovery to, you know, just more compassion from outside you know inside looking out to the world to maybe just uh you know just fun fun feelings and like feeling thankful for the love that they have for the friends that they have you know there's a lot of this kind of roller coaster of happy and sad and the bittersweet the middle the, you know and then you have uh you know the wacky kind of crazy like you know am I allowed to say this on a song mm -hmm. type things, you know, <laughs> yeah. can he say that? Can he talk about that? Wiping his ass with money? Like that's weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all that. All right. Perfect. Uh, so can you talk about any particularly oh. challenging or standout moments from the creation of the album, positive or negative? There was one point where I was trying to figure uh, out how to finish this song called spaced out. Uh, it just didn't quite feel right. I just, we were doing different mixes over and over again. I was adding more parts, taking away parts, and I just couldn't crack the code on why it didn't quite feel done. And then someone had the idea of adding a feature. And so we added Nick Wheeler from All American Rejects. And he added these guitar parts that just transformed the song to feel done. And finally, it was almost like he was the key that just fit in the hole, turned it, it was like, there it is. Oh my gosh. Finally, like this is it. This is the finished product. So I think that was kind of annoying because it took months of mixing and stopping and going, guys, I don't know. I need to stop and just, I'll come back in a second and we'll come back to this one to finally getting those tracks from Nick and feeling like, okay, wow, this is what we've been waiting for. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a frustrating process, but in the end to get, to get it to where it is now, it uh it feels like an ultra special song and i'm really thankful that nick was on it and so 
yeah, that was probably the most difficult song on part of the album. All right. Um, what what kind of like made you keep coming back to that song since like you were struggling to crack it? You know, I don't know. You know, it's like uh, me and my wife, we before we were married, we we broke up for a week uh, before we got engaged kind of thing. And uh, and I think that this when they approached me with just like this chorus of the song, there was just a little hook of the song like, you know, I know you need a little space right now, but I'm spaced out. And I was like, oh, that I, I vibe with that. I relate with that. And so there was something about, you know, when I helped rewrite the chorus and added little bits to other things, I was like, man, this song is part of my story and, and part of my story that needs to be told on this album. So I've just got to figure out how the heck to make it sound great, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very like... Um, it's a very hooky, repetitive song. And so the things that get hard with hooky and repetitive is that sometimes it can just feel like flatline. It doesn't feel like it's it's elevating as the song progresses. And it doesn't feel like, like, why would I keep listening to this song? You know, and so I had to give people reasons and little little gold nuggets along the track that are revolving to keep you listening to it and keep you going like, oh, that's a cool part. Oh, that's a new part. You know, mm-hmm. as as the melody and lyrics were staying pretty much similar uh, across the song. So, yeah, I mean, I think it just felt like part of my story that had to be told. So I was like, dang it, I got to finish this freaking thing. Fair enough. All right. Um, so for this question, I want you to picture you're on tour. You're at a gas station for a rest stop. What is your snack of choice? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's always peach rings. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, Those freaking okay. gummy like sugary peach rings are so bad for your teeth. They're so bad for your life, but they're so good. You know, that in the, um, the star mix, the Haribo star mix. Have you guys ever had that? No, I no. haven't. So, okay. So they've got in the star mix, they've got the snakes from Haribo. They've got the little gummy bears. They've got what else? Oh, they have the little Coke bottle ones. They have all the different gummies mm-hmm. and it's just like so good. You get it and you can't help but eat the entire thing. So that sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next time you go on a road trip, I would recommend the Star Mix. It it really is amazing. It's intergalactic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, on the topic of food, if your project was a dish, what dish would your project be, and why? Oh gosh, <clears throat> I I feel like the project would be uh, it probably would be an everything bagel with a little bit of cream cheese. You know. Because you you take one bite and you're just getting a mouthful of all these different flavors, and it's it's got a slight little layer of cheesiness to it. So you know, but everybody needs everybody needs uh, an everything bagel with cream cheese every once in a while. So my hope is that it's filling, that it's satisfying, mm-hmm. and uh, that you get more than than your than you uh, bargain for when you take a bite. Hell yeah! All right. Absolutely. Um, so for the last couple of questions, we're gonna shift completely away from music and go straight to death row. Boom. So <laughs> if you're on death row, what would your last meal be with drink? Oh, dang. My last meal would probably be pepperoni pizza with a, a Coca-Cola icy. All right. Oh, nice. Damn, an icy. Okay, we haven't yeah. had that one in a while. Good. Yeah, you got you got to. When I go to the movies, like that is that's always the thing that's staring me in the face. They got these icy machines in the back, and I'm like, I'll have a large icy, please. <laughs> awesome. So if you could live in one fictional world for a week, where would you live? Oh, gosh. I mean, one fictional world. You know, I would say 
I really love the movie Tron. I would I would probably live in Tron. Tron is so cool. Like that whole science fiction vibe and and the outfits and the crazy, you know, like uh the different programs that are people, like it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Um, so I have on vest last question and every single person that we've spoken to have said that it is the most important question. What's okay. your favorite color? I mean, people will say this is not a color, but black is my favorite color because mm -hmm. it is all the colors combined, you know? There you so go. Well, you sold it pretty well. well. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I'll all let right. you have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I said, that's all the questions we have today. Is there anything that you would like to plug? No, I guess I would just say, you know, if you're watching this, go listen to the new album and uh, it's anywhere you stream music. And if you can't find my last name because it's impossible to spell, just type in Sam, play with fire, and you'll find everything that you want to find for me, Instagram, all that stuff. So, Hell yeah. All right. Well, awesome. thank you for smiling. It's been Sam Tinez, and we have been the Good Noise Podcast.